you know, one time I got so enthralled with teaching irony and literature that I stayed up all night, all night, writing irony lesson plans, all of which had the same purpose. And that purpose was to convince students that everything in life is ironic, except for the uh, that one Alanis Morissette song, which is ironic. After not sleeping for a couple of nights trying to do this and then accidentally stapling my hand to a bulletin board, I decided the best way to teach irony is to actually use short stories. Hey, this is Trent Lorcher, and welcome to the Teaching ELA podcast, where I help ELA teachers thrive in and out of the classroom. In this podcast, I discuss real teaching for real classrooms. Whether it's a specific piece of literature, teaching strategy, or life strategy, I talk about things ELA teachers need. I promise that with each podcast episode, you'll have something you can use today. In today's episode of the Teaching ELA podcast, I discuss several short stories for teaching irony. The Necklace, The Interlopers, The Machine That Won the War, The Blue Hotel, and The Cask of Amontillado. I've got an emergency lesson plan you can get on the board right now. And if there's one short story involving irony you need to teach, we have that too. Class is about to start and you need something right now. So here's the one thing you can put on the board right now so when the students come in, you'll be ready to roll. Just a reminder, all lesson plans we discuss in this podcast can be found at ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. Irony. Here we go. Two-minute lesson plan. Students are coming in a couple minutes. Get to the board right now. Write this. I can cite textual evidence to determine the theme or central idea of a text by analyzing irony. So you need to make a three-column chart right now. Do that. Three column, two vertical lines. Title the chart, Irony, in whatever short story you're reading. Hopefully you've chosen a short story. If not, go grab your textbook right now. Find something in there with irony and read it. Or you can go to the show notes. I got the best show notes in the, in the Teaching ELA podcast space. Go there right now. Got some ideas for you. Of course, you only have two minutes. The students are coming. Oh, no. Anyhow, three-column chart. Left column, type of irony. Middle column, specific example of irony. Now, if you're familiar with the story or have the teacher's edition, you can fill in parts of this column if you have maybe three minutes instead of two. You can also do a little research as students are copying the chart. That is, they copy the chart. You look up examples of irony in the story you're teaching. Label the right column explanation of irony. Now, read whatever story you choose. If you have some examples, point those out. If not, as you read... You're a professional. You point out the examples if you want to. You know your class. After you read the story, here's a a thing I like to do is we have the type of irony. We have the examples in our middle column. And in the right column, they can fill out the analysis section, the explanation of the irony, what it contributes to theme. This can sometimes be handled in a small group format since this is not a collaborative teaching podcast. I'm not going to go in how to do it. You know how to do it. You have a degree. You have a teaching license. Students should be, in order to do this, I said a two-minute lesson plan. Again, I'm assuming that you have a general knowledge of ELA, of literature, of analysis, of short stories. Because again, as I've said, you're a professional. You have a degree. You have a teaching license, just like I do. I'm 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 no one special. I've just been doing this a while is all. Students should be familiar with the following information. First, the basic definitions for irony. Contrast between what is expected and what is real. Situational irony, when one's efforts produces the opposite result of what was expected. 
For example, a little story called The Ransom of Red Chief. A boy is kidnapped, but instead of the kidnappers demanding money for the kid's return, the parents demand money to take him back. A historical example could be surrendering guards at the Bastille. Still managed to kill 98 citizens. Situational irony. Verbal irony, a contrast between what is said and what is actually meant. Sarcasm is the basic, is the base form of verbal irony, but we can do better than that. Literary example. In the story of Prometheus, Prometheus says to Zeus, you are as kind as you are wise. Zeus thinks it's a compliment, but because Prometheus doesn't think Zeus is wise, it's actually an insult. And we have dramatic irony. When the audience knows things, the characters do not. I've read Romeo and Juliet over 40 times, literally over 40 times. I've read it, listened to it, whatever. And I'm always yelling at Romeo that Juliet's not really dead, but he doesn't listen to me. You might want to go over those quick definitions, have students fill out the, create the chart, fill out the chart, read the story, boom, you got an entire class. It took you like, that one took like four minutes, sorry. I says two minutes, but I did four minutes. All right, let's take a look at short stories for teaching irony. Let's begin with The Necklace by Guillemot-Bessam. Mademoiselle learns the danger of pretending to be someone she isn't. It's the necklace. She wants to be part of a you know high-class society. She wants to be rich, but she isn't. The ultimate irony is that the Loiselles spend a good part of 20 years paying back a loan they took out for having lost a set of fake gems. <laughs> some uh, In some translations, this story is called the false gems instead of the necklace. Teaching this story has a good life lesson. I suppose we could call that theme. Because of the story's theme, which is not putting your trust or your happiness on material good, understanding irony becomes an essential part of understanding that theme. So if we're, we're not just teaching irony. We're not just teaching citing textual evidence. We're teaching citing textual evidence, determining theme. It's awesome. So don't place value on the wrong things. I guess I'm teaching that lesson now, right? Put the value in citing textual evidence to analyze. All else will flow forth from that. You're going to teach this story. You're going to teach irony. You're going to talk about the theme, which is not putting your, not placing value on the wrong things. In 10 years, when half your students have six-figure credit card debt and a five-figure yearly salary, they can't blame you. You're welcome. Next, we have The Blue Hotel by Stephen Crane. One of my favorites. This isn't really taught too commonly in high school, but I think it should be. A stranger accuses another of cheating at poker. Again, I taught in Las Vegas for quite a while, almost 20 years. So this Kind of rings a bell. It's kind of, you know, resonates here. So a stranger accuses another of cheating at poker and pays a steep price for the accusation. That steep price would be they kill him. As it turns out, if you've never read this story, plug your ears for the next 10 seconds. As it turns out, the guy was cheating at poker. Boy, do they feel stupid when they found out. By the way, the accuser was an immigrant. I believe he was a Swedish immigrant. That might have relevance. I don't know. You tell me. You're the teacher. Next up, The Interlopers by Saki. His real name is H.H. Monroe. I'm going to be honest with you. I think, or is that O'Henry? I get him mixed up. No, H.H. Monroe is Saki. I'm going to look that up. And if I'm wrong, actually, if I'm wrong, please leave a note in the comments. Tell me I'm wrong. You can even call me an idiot. (laughs) I don't care. But if I'm right, let me know I'm right. And tell me, I remember trivial knowledge about short story authors. Anyhow, 
Saki, who may or may not be H.H. Monroe, but I think he is. Yes, it is. Uh, the Interlopers is by Saki, and his real name is H.H. Monroe. But don't let that stop you from commenting about how smart I am in the show notes. Again, I promise you the best show notes in the biz, Interlopers. Don't you hate it when clan leaders sign a peace treaty? And then before they can tell anyone in their clan they get eaten by wolves? I, I, I freaking hate that. Oh my goodness, I hate it. This story makes for a good creative writing assignment, by the way. You know, I know we're doing the short story summary portion of the podcast, but I'm just going to interject the writing assignment portion of the podcast. This is a good creative writing assignment. How You could have students rewrite the ending. Or actually, the ending kind of, you know, leaves a little bit up in the air, some making inferences stuff. They say wolves. It doesn't really give us details about the wolves eating them. Your students might want to give some details on that. You could also imitate the story style with a modern day update or write about how the story would be different if cell phones had been invented. Imagine that. Imagine Uruk von Gradwitz could have called his buddies to come get him. Anyhow, next story, a little science fiction. You know I love science fiction. If you've listened to my podcast, you would know I love science fiction. We've talked about Sound of Thunder. We've talked about something else that escapes my mind right now, but it was an awesome, awesome story. Or I know what it was. The fun they had. We've talked about that. We can talk about the machine that won the war. In this one, this is by Isaac Asimov, one of the world's greatest science fiction writers. What is the machine that won the war? First of all, what was the war? I guess uh, apparently aliens invaded. And luckily, Earth had this incredible machine that cost trillions of dollars. And uh, the Earth's celebrating the machine that won the war. Well, you have these three engineers talking about the machine that really won the war. and it's And the machine that won the war is a little simpler than the one everyone thinks won the war. I love this story. It's very short. I happened to come across it in a, uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, publishing company that made the textbook I found it in when I taught 10th grade English a while back. It was like an ugly mauve colored book. Anyhow, The Machine That Won the War by Isaac Asimov. Great short, short story. Ironic too. And our last short story for teaching irony that I'm going to discuss. There's, there's like literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of short stories with irony, but these are, I just picked five that have uh, I've taught in my class that I really, 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 really liked. And this last one might be my favorite of them all, The Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. Now, now Poe is known for his, again, suspense. Everyone's like, oh, Poe, the, the master of the macabre, the master of suspense. But Dude could write some funny stuff, and he did. Well, maybe funny's not the right word. You know, unless you think burying people alive's funny. He writes some ironic stuff, and the dialogue between Montresor and Fortunato, Fortunato in the Cask of Amontillado is awesome. Awesome. There's a delicious amount of verbal irony that Montresor uses to humiliate his nemesis, who's dead and can't defend himself. That sound can only mean one thing. It means it's time for the one thing. That's right. If there's one thing you teach from this story, it's going to be this right here. All right. Remember our one reading standard we focus on here at the Teaching ELA podcast. I can cite textual evidence to support literary analysis. We talked about this in the opening. If we can cite textual evidence to analyze irony, it leads us to a determining theme. It leads us to analyzing characters. It leads us to analyzing all sorts of stuff. It's, it's the standard that carries over into everything. We're going to switch gears a little bit and go with the one story. 
So our one thing is going to be the one story we can teach that really showcases irony. And I would pick who I consider the greatest ironic writer of them all. And his name is O. Henry. I don't know O. Henry's real name. Huh. Maybe I should pause and look it up, but I'm not going to. Why don't you tell me what O. Henry's real name is in the, sh- in the comment? Anyhow, Gift of the Magi by O. Henry is what I would choose. But since it might not be Christmas when you're listening to this, I'm going to go with a different story by a different author. I'm going to go with the story of an hour by Kate Chopin. So if it's Christmas time and you want to teach irony, go with Gift of the Magi. If it's not Christmas time, go with the story of an hour by Kate Chopin. You know, I said earlier that maybe O. Henry is the greatest uh, writer of ironic stories. And uh, we've talked about Saki. He might be the, but maybe Kate Chopin is. Or if you're French, Kate Chopin. She writes some ironic stuff too. Desiree's Baby, for example. We're going to talk about the story of an hour. In this story, Brentley Mallard dies in a train crash. That's Mrs. Mallard, Louise Mallard's husband. And she's a little sad, as you might imagine. They're, you know, they're kind of happy. She's a little sad her husband died in a pl- uh, train, train wreck. However, she feels something else, and that's joy and a sense of freedom. So she goes and locks herself in her room and rejoices. And everyone else thinks she's in there crying, and they're wondering, oh, no, oh, no, poor... Poor Mrs. Mallard, but she's actually excited about all the opportunities. And that's, you know what? That's not even close to the most ironic thing that happens in this story. <laughs> Let's get back to our one standard, by the way. But before we, yeah, we're gonna, I'm not going to tell you the ending. But the, the fact that she's feeling joy that her husband uh, died in a train crash isn't the most ironic thing in this story. That's how ironic the story is. I love this story. Anyhow, we're going to talk about our one standard. So when students master how to cite textual evidence with a purpose, everything else becomes either no longer necessary or easier to teach. So what does mastery of this standard look like when it comes to irony? We all know, we all teach that irony is a contradiction between appearance and reality, but achieving the standard requires a little bit more than reciting a definition. So let's talk about the four levels here. We talk about this a lot in the Teaching ELA podcast. Level one, define irony. This is simple memorization. A rhinoceros could probably do this if you gave him enough time. You got to know the definition or the definitions, because you have situational, dramatic, verbal. There's other kinds. There's comic irony. There's other things. You got to be able, you have to be able to define, define irony and its different types in order to achieve the standard. But just being able to do this is not enough. It has no purpose outside of the classroom. All right, identifying an example of irony is level two. Most students know irony when they see it. They enjoy it. Students enjoy irony. I know teenagers like that sort of stuff. And adults do too. I like it. I'm not a teenager. I haven't been one in a long time. It's been uh, over 30 years since I've been a teenager. Yet I still remember enjoying irony. That's level two. It's good. It's a step above reciting a definition. But again, not, not enough. It's not enough for my classroom. And, it's, and the fact that you're listening to a podcast about teaching better would indicate it's not good enough for your classroom either. Give yourself a pat on the back, Jane. Level three, analyze irony and explain how it contributes to the story's theme. Now we're talking. Now we've achieved the standard. We're L, well on the, not L, well on the way to mastery. Students who can explain how irony contributes to the overall theme of the literary work are using critical thinking skills. Skills that can be applied outside of the classroom. Again, we're preparing students for jobs that don't exist. And no matter what the job is, Critical thinking skills, the ability to analyze, the ability to take evidence, cite it, draw conclusions, 
make explanations, interpret. doesn't matter what field they go into. It's going to work for them. All right? Employees, business owners, freelancers need that ability, creativity, analysis. Oh, I love it. And we're doing that. And then they get an A for this too. But whatever. If the only thing students are getting out of your class is an A or a B or a letter or out of my class is a letter, I failed. They need something to take with them to be competitive for jobs that don't exist yet. Level four. Ultimately, we hope they get to level four. I think if we take, we can lead them to level three. They're going to take themselves to level four. And that's using irony, use irony effectively in their own writing or their own speak. I don't mean smart A comments. So I don't mean sarcasm. I mean, using irony to make points in their writing or their speaking or in their life, not in an insulting, demeaning way, which I think teenagers do. And I've been guilty of that myself. I've been guilty of using irony to maybe make others feel bad. I don't do that anymore. Mainly because, you know, my wife threatened me if I did that again. Anyhow, that's a, that's for, that's a topic for another podcast. <laughs> let's, let's move on. So when we talk about one standard making everything else easier to teach or no longer necessary, this is what we're talking about. Citing textual evidence to support analysis is a skill that can be used in all areas of ELA, reading literature, reading information, writing, speaking and listening, and all other subjects. Now you're thinking, wait, wait a second, Trent. You didn't mention anything about language or language acquisition. You know I didn't. I didn't. Let me tell you this. If your students have mastered the other four areas, how much easier is it going to be to teach language acquisition context clues, which kind of is citing textual evidence to support analysis, context clues, right? Connotative and denotative meaning. Now, as far as grammar, punctuation, yeah, uh, yeah, all right, you got me. But again, if they got all the other stuff down, they can write intelligently ideas and content, then teaching that becomes easier. And other people ask me, hey, Trent, why don't you teach us, why don't you do a podcast on teaching whatever punctuation skills? And I'm going to tell you, because I suck at it. <laughs> uh, honestly, I always ask someone else, hey, how are you teaching this? And they teach me, and they tell me. So this is a podcast about teaching literature mostly, not about teaching grammar and punctuation, because I'm not that good at it. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're good at it, start. you should start your teaching grammar and punctuation podcast and not listen to it because I need help in that area. That's why I always go to my good friend, Deanna, next door because she knows how to do it. And I steal her lessons. It's all fair. You can steal my lessons in the show notes. I got lessons in the show notes. Please come get them. There's links. There's lesson plan collections. I wanna, I wanna, I'm giving you value here. Hopefully the podcast is, you find valuable. You must. You're still listening. The show notes. I'll be honest with you. If you just went to the show notes and didn't listen to the podcast, now I'm, you'd be well ahead of the game. You'd be well ahead of the game. But since you're driving home right now, or you're driving to work right now, and you're listening, and you're, and you're thinking, sweet, I got a lesson plan to put on the board because I didn't prepare, then listen to the podcast on the way to work. Thank you for listening, by the way. Anyhow, takeaways. I'm done. Students love stories with irony, and there are a ton of them. We talked about I think we talked about seven of them, actually. I promised you five. I delivered seven. <laughs> You're always getting more than you expect from the Teaching ELA podcast. There are a ton of them. The Understanding Irony Lesson Plan can be used with any short story that contains irony. And as we mentioned, there's a ton of them. It's going to help students master the standard of citing textual evidence to support analysis. Kate Chopin's The Story of an Hour is easy to read, easy to teach, 
and serves as a great short story for teaching irony. But if it's Christmas, go with O. Henry's gift of the Magi. All right. Peace out. I just said peace out. <laughs> what am I trying to be? 23? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Teaching ELA podcast. For more teacher-ready, student-ready lesson plans, head on over to ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. That's ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, where we have hundreds of lesson plans and handouts that are ready to use right now. And as always, if this podcast has helped you thrive in the classroom, we'd appreciate a like and a review. 